This is Mike Quinlan, and you are listening to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. There is one constant in business, and that is that every one of us will eventually exit, and sometimes sooner than we think. In this podcast, we discuss topics to help you with elite preparation, so when you're ready for transition, you won't just exit, you will join that exclusive group of owners who have accomplished an elite exit. We talk with former owners, exit advisors, and a host of other experts to help you increase the value of your exit, execute it on your terms, and most importantly, do it without regret. So let's join the show. Hi, and welcome back to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. I'm Mike Quinlan, and as always, we're going to talk to you about elite preparation and the quest for that elusive elite exit. This is a very special show because we're going to focus on a single industry today. And the sound might be a little bit different because I'm on location in Beaufort, South Carolina, talking to Brett Miller. And let me tell you what we're going to do today. Last week, I went to the dentist to have a tooth checked out. That's always a lot of fun. And ended up walking out with a temporary crown. The dentist and his team did a great job explaining exactly what they were going to do and what kind of outcome I should expect. This is our family dentist, and I've known him for years. And fortunately, we had an opportunity to catch up for a few minutes, and he asked me what I was doing. I told him about the Business Owner Transition Academy and about the podcast. We had a little conversation about what he was doing and his and the dental industry in general. And he told me that he has many friends who've become frustrated. They've been calling him up and saying, hey, look, I'm just ready to sell this thing and go work for somebody else. I was taught to be a dentist. Now I have to go through and spend all my time doing this business owner stuff. I really don't know how to build the best value in my business. He went on to say, hey, listen, I'm having to do some things that are really non-traditional in the, in the way that I need to focus on building my staff my operations, and also looking for ways to build transferable value in my business, whether I choose to sell it to my children or if I choose to sell it to some other party, and I'm really not sure how to do that. So I told them, I have the right recess source for you, and I'm going to do a special podcast just for you and your friends. So for all of you dental providers out there that are having an opportunity to listen to this kind of stuff, be advised you are not alone in your questions and confusion about what you might want to do in your business and the various exit paths that you might have in order to transition your business in the future. With all that being said, today my special guest is Brett Miller. Brett runs CI Brightworth Dental Division, and it is a specially practiced designed just for dental providers and dental professionals and their businesses. So Brett, welcome to the podcast today and tell us a little bit about you and CI Brightworth Dental. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here with you this afternoon and certainly excited to share uh, a little bit of uh, who we are and uh, how, our, how our team is helping our mutual dental clients. So a little bit of a fun story. Uh, grew up actually in a family of dental providers. I had a grandfather who was a dentist. And so uh, while most folks, when they would get dropped off at their grandparents' house while their parents were running errands, uh, my brother and I actually had the, the privilege of getting dropped off at my grandfather's dental practice. 
whether that was building airplanes in his office or better yet playing with uh, liquid mercury in his lab. Uh, that was that was Chris and I. And so grew up, I'm honored to say grew up in dentistry. Uh, grandfather who is a dentist, uncle who is a general practitioner, uh, and also now uh, my older brother, Chris, is a general dentist as well. Uh, now, I say that because I had no intention of actually going into a dental practice area focused on wealth management services for dental practitioners. Candidly, didn't even know it existed. Uh, I went to the Citadel, uh, not too far up the road from Beaufort, and uh, after graduating, was planning to actually go into uh, corporate auditing. And thank goodness, one of the founders of our firm, uh, Bob Seitz, uh, his son was an incoming freshman at the Citadel. I was a rising senior. And, uh, you know, the Citadel, like any of the other service academies, it's already tough enough to drop your son or daughter off at college when you arrive the first day. But imagine dropping them off at a service academy. So uh, being from the same hometown, I walked over, put my arm around Robert and said, hey, uh, everything's going to be OK. I'll take care of them. And similar to your conversation with your dentist, Mike, it led to a conversation where Bob said, what are you planning to do after school? And I shared with me, said, I think I've got something a little more interesting for you. And as he explained to me, not only the wealth management industry, which was appealing, but that hey, we've got a niche practice. I mean, this was a niche in a boutique before those were commonplace words. Hey, we, we specialize, we understand, we speak their language, we speak their jargon. It never occurred to me, I said, wow, I actually grew up in this family. You're telling me there's a way to take my love of the dental profession, which has been something I've always loved and appreciated and merging that in with a service offering where we can specialize in helping dental practitioners who, uh, by the way, throughout undergraduate degree, most dental practitioners tend to have either a chemistry or biology or zoology degree, go to four years of dental school and often a residency or for those who are specialists, additional schooling. I asked my brother when he graduated, I said, how many specific courses did you have on dental practice, small business owner management? And he just laughed at me, said, I think that was like a 30 minute lecture one time that no one showed up at or paid attention to. One of my first clients shared with me, said, Brett, I didn't know you were supposed to make payroll tax withholdings until I got an audit deficiency letter from the State Department of Revenue. And that's how I learned what payroll taxes were. So, so, so what you find, Mike, is You've got this wonderful industry. I mean, dentists in the dental industry, by virtue of their profession, are caring people. And it's always a great side conversation to ask a dentist why you chose, how did you get into dentistry? But the problem is, is that unfortunately, they're kind of ill prepared and have to learn all of these financial traits on their own. Some do very well. And I've got some very great success stories of folks who just intuitively put this together or had a spouse or a family member. But unfortunately, most struggle with the financial aspect of the business. And that's really what we've done is, you know, we've built a business model where uh, simply said, we help dentists focus on serving their patients, families and communities, knowing their financial well-being is in good hands. We, we, we kind of help say, help us put the circle of advisors, of trusted advisors, of the right resources. I mean, because at the end of the day, 
it's not a secret of dental practice management, which there are some great consultants who help with that. It's how are you helping a small business owner in a high cash flow professional services organization manage overhead, manage distributions, and optimize their after-tax cash flow and savings? And it's a huge planning opportunity and a great way to help people really focus on their patients, knowing all that stuff's being taken care of. As I talk with new clients or new students at the academy, I always ask them three questions and we call them the three big questions. And I'll step back just in a second because what we are trying to do, remember, is get our clients and our students to achieve an elite exit. And elite exits are very, very difficult to actually to actually generate. You have to do three major things to, to achieve the elite exit. The first is maximize transaction value. The second is to do it on your terms, which can be difficult. And the third is to do it without regrets, which statistically is incredibly difficult. We're going to talk about elite exits for, for the dental industry and for dental owners. But before we do that, let's talk about the three big questions that we ask. The first question that we ask is, how much do you need from the sale of your practice? And I'm going to break that down into two different sub-elements. The first sub-element is, how do you know? Have you done any third-party analysis about post-transaction cash flow, either generated through hard assets that you already own or from the transaction value of the practice itself? I'm sure you're going to talk to me about traditional practice valuation versus what's going on in the current marketplace. The second sub-element of that goes to the valuation model. How much is the practice actually worth, right? So those two elements put together give you the potential value gap and can help address some of the other two questions, right? So I'm going to lay out the other two for you and I'm going to let you go. The second question is, what exit path are you going to take? Who do you want to sell it to? And what are the risks associated with those exit paths? The third one is, when do you want to sell the practice? And what are the drivers behind the reason why you want to sell the practice? And in the event that you are forced to sell the practice, because remember, every single owner out there is ultimately not going to own their business forever. They're going to leave. So how do you do that without leaving money on the table? Okay, there's a huge setup for you. We could probably talk for two hours, but let's get started with question number one. How much do you need from your practice and how do you know? Ironic, Mike, that that is the first question because I literally had this conversation yesterday afternoon with a prospective client who, uh, I'll tell you a brief story, called in someone I had met several years ago, actually uh, helping his father, whom he had purchased the practice from. Uh, unfortunately, his father was starting to suffer with some late stages of dementia, and they were looking at, hey, we need to work on some family planning. So it was an introduction to the son, who now is in his mid-50s, and uh, called me and he said, Brett, I'm ready to retire. And I said, really? Uh, great to talk to you. Hadn't heard from you in a while. I said, out of curiosity, have you ever taken a look at what you have and more importantly, what you need? And he goes, 
No, I just always had this number in my head and I've hit that number. So I think I'm ready. <laughs> and, I, and I just very kindly said, I said, intuitively, he, he had shared with me the number and I said, intuitively, I don't think you're that far off. But how about we take a deeper dive to affirm that feeling before you start down this path? Because Mike, one of the things that I've observed and, and I've been blessed to be in this industry and advising clients for the last 15 years is that very few small business owners in the dental space truly know what their whole balance sheet values are. Even fewer are tracking it on a year by year basis. And there is a small minority that have tried or engaged with an advisor or done it successfully themselves to project forward. What do I have versus what are my needs in a post-sale environment? And so what we often find is, unfortunately, a lot of people are, some, some might say they're blissfully ignorant, uh, but actually I think there is a bit of an, and, and you got to realize also the culture of dentistry. The culture of dentistry is, is a very tight fraternity, sorority group of folks. And they have a common bond of caring for people and so in a lot of small communities, especially you have dental study clubs who get together, talk about patient experience. That's not really someone they can go, hey, how much is your practice worth? What's your overhead rate? How are you approaching X, Y, and Z? What was your take-home income and in your tax? There's this missing for business forum, if you think about, to have a legitimate conversation around what's going well in my practice and what's not going well, what could be used or what's going on in the industry, which is why I'm so glad you're creating this opportunity to share this, this information because I think one of the challenges that faces a lot of dentists and the reason that the retirement age of the average dentist continues to grow up, go up in, in value is I think people are afraid of retiring. Now, there's a quantitative element associated with that. Um, you know, small business owners, they don't have the luxury of pensions and corporate parachutes associated. Um, while a dental practice, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, is a important value. It's not always of the valuation scope, Mike, that you may work with with some of your other business owners where the sale of the business is a piece of getting to the financial outcome, but it's not it alone would not create for that. Um, and you also have a circumstance where you think about a lot of dental practitioners get out of practice and, and you used earlier the concept of mid-stage and late stage. We wish we saw more early stage doctors. We wish we talked to more folks in their early 30s, mid 30s, when they're settling into practice ownership, notes are starting to roll off. What happens when that cash flow finally pivots from phantom income to real cash in your pocket? It gets spent and you miss that critical 15, 20 years to really save and compound and grow for retirement. So what that ends up meaning is a lot of people have a big assumption in their balance sheet as to what their practice is worth. And too many of them say, I'm ready to retire without fully understanding the impact of that assumption. So, how do you address that? One of the things that, that we try to help even with our prospective clients say, hey, we've got to take a financial analysis and look at what this looks like. Because 
you're used to an accumulation mindset. And, and one of the benefits of being in the dental industry is if you spend too much money on a vacation, you know, we've got spring break here coming up. You have too much fun in Disney World with your kids. Hey, you can always go do a couple more profies and uh, do a crown or depending on what your specialty is, you can always go back and, and, and manufacture more income. But as you start contemplating a transition, hey, that's a, that's a final point. That's a finite point. And you've got to start looking at what's going to be my current assets, the sale of my practice, potentially the sale or the future leasing of the owner-occupied real estate, my other investments, social security, pensions from spouses, et cetera. And so it's important for doctors to pull all of this together because as they then start having a conversation of what their practice is worth, you first got to know where you stand before you start having a conversation of what your practice is worth. Because here is, if, if I can uh, leave people with probably one thing that this statistic keeps me up at night, um, a common joke, and I think, Mike, I shared this with you before you went to the dentist and you asked your dentist, is how many unsolicited offers are you getting for your practice each week? There is a wave of consolidation that's going on in the dental industry right now. And it's being fueled by the same wave of consolidation that's going on in most professional services organizations, scale, private equity. Um, you got efficiencies from multiple aspects coming together. Uh, you've also got, and I think we're going to talk about this a little later, a tired generation of dentists who are burnt out, understandably so from managing a small business, which, would, which few of them are, were, I would say, trained to do through COVID which was just brutal for small business owners from a psychological and emotional standpoint. Just done. And people are showing up. And this is kind of interesting because 10 years ago, Mike, there was very few, I'll call it smart money, private equity, true values of and, 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 and valuation and um, value driver type business purchasers. A lot of it was, and it was because of the way the licensure system worked in most states, a lot of it was a transaction from one dentist to another dentist, or it could be a dentist selling to a group of individual dentists. And for the longest time, that was done on a percentage of, of collections or a percentage of revenue, sometimes with a, a discount for accounts receivable, but a, a, a fairly... now. Uh, you have to, there, there's a way you would adjust that so it's not as simple as slapping a percentage, but let's just say it was less than one times revenue in most cases. Yeah, I think when I was about 15 years ago or so, I was doing some work in this particular area and it, it was 0.63 times trailing one year revenue. Yeah, I mean, let's say point. 0.6 to 0.8 was yep. like a range. Yep. And there were factors that would that would influence that range. Well, now we're starting to evolve into the conversation of multiples of EBITDA, which I know puts a smile on your face. And that is a foreign concept, but one in which if you think about it in the traditional sense, if you improve profitability in your practice and a percentage of revenue model, you added an extra dollar to the bottom line. You improve your EBITDA by a dollar based on the multiple, that's a three, five, seven, nine times increase in the value of your practice. 
So what ends up happening is for the bigger, more profitable, better run practices, they've seen their valuations exponentially increase over what the traditional valuation models were several years ago. And so now it's not uncommon to hear from a friend or a colleague or a friend from dental school, the people not in your immediate circle, but the folks you do talk about this with, getting values for their business and offers you never even contemplated. And so much so, um, I thought this was an interesting statistic. I heard this from a friend of mine who does valuation and M&A specifically in the dental space. He said less than 20% of sellers, doctors who sell to a corporate buyer have representation. And it keeps us up at night because do you think the corporate buyers are offering their best valuation the first go round? No. And so and unfortunately, and then that's, I'm not being critical of them. I understand why they're doing what they're doing. But for those who don't seek appropriate representation in that regard, they're leaving money on the table. So uh, to your point of the elite exit, they're not maximizing the potential value of their transaction. But what it's also doing is it's creating, there is a ton of confusion in the dental marketplace as to what my practice is worth. And now there's also a big and wide spectrum of options when you sell your practice. How much do you take in cash? How much do you roll over? What are your earnout targets? What are what's the culture of the company that you're merging into? Because very few, you know, in in more traditional practice sales, one to one, where a dentist would buy another dentist, oftentimes that older dentist was retiring and leaving, and it was a pretty quick transition period. Oftentimes, though, when a professional group comes in and buys your practice, they want you to hang around. That <laughs> they want you to help pay for what they just paid for the business. And so, hey, that is a, a factor. And so, you know, we are not pro DSO. We're not against DSO. We're not pro selling to an individual doctor. We're not. What we try to do is say we need to educate our our client base. We need to educate the dental industry on the trends and what's occurring. At the same time, Mike, helping our clients understand what their financial position is so they can make the right decision. So, and Brett, let, let me, me give you a prime example. Can, can I share yeah, a quick example? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I had a client last year, late 50s. Her husband was a corporate executive. They were financially secure, financially independent. They were ready to retire before we even contemplated the sale of the practice. Her number one stipulation was, I want out. I'm done, my hands have arthritis, my kids are in high school, I want, is a female dentist, I wanna, I wanna put down the handpiece and focus on being a mom. And she got two valuations for her practice. One was from a purchaser who was another individual dentist, one was from a corporate group. 100% differential in the practice values. One said, I'd like to phase you out in three months. The other said, we require you to be here for three years. 
Which one do you think she chose? I'm hoping she took the one that made her most happy, which is probably the getting out early. Correct. And she didn't bat an eye about the delta in that practice valuation because she understood where she, where she was positioned financially going into that conversation. All right. So now let me recap what you just said, okay, into what I try to explain to my students. For question one, which is what you spoke extensively about, about how much do you need, right? One of the critical things that, that people don't understand, and as a matter of fact, when I'm working with clients, I require, before I work with them, the commitment from the client that they're going to have real financial planning completed and that depending on where they are, there's some form of valuation is going to be completed. So we know what the starting point is. But more importantly, for those late stage growth or, or late stage transition companies that are really working on contemplating and working towards their exit, financial planning and valuation planning is critical because not only does it help them understand what is my potential gap if, I, if one exists, it aligns my goals and helps translate the acceptable deal terms to the team of advisors that is around the owner. As we go into that phase four area where we're doing pre-sale planning and we're starting to get the M&A professionals involved and the lawyers involved, we are communicating to them Look, here are acceptable sets of deal terms for the owner based on personal objectives and personal balance sheet values and structure. That gives the team the ammunition they need to evaluate potential buyers because you talked about just now this delta between you know 100% value between these two particular buyers. I always advocate for creating a competitive atmosphere where you are able to generate multiple offers for your business versus what you talked about a few minutes ago, which is all of those unsolicited offers that come in. Critical to work on deal term. People have to understand that from the very beginning. That goes to two things. Maximizing value, well, actually three things, maximizing value, going ahead and establishing early what your deal terms are, and then third, doing it without regret, because oftentimes people who have not clearly thought through all of this accept things during the transaction process that they really don't want to accept, but because of deal fatigue and other things, they end up getting there. Now, let me go to the second point you started to address. And that was cash flow and then also quality of business, because what you've gone to in valuation now is away from the old 60 to 80 percent of last year's Australian revenue. Now to this new environment of EBITDA based and multiple based value, we teach our clients deal price is made up of cash flow generally in the form of EBITDA, which in this case you're talking about. And then the second piece is the quality of the business or stated differently, the risk to forward cash flows. In that, we use what we call the I'm good checklist model to help improve the internal value drivers of the business. So we have cash flow, 
Now we in, improve those internal value drivers of the, of the business, and we now increase multiple. That combination increases transaction value, which drives towards the elite exit. What I'd like to hear from you next is, and you touched on it, is what does that universe of buyers look like out there? The who do I want to sell it to and the risks associated with two or three different types of buyers? Great, great question, Mike, and, and really good follow-up because I have a lot of respect for the dental industry. And, and a lot of that stems from my grandfather who, you know, post-World War II, he was a dentist actually at the point of debarkation in New Orleans. Um, post, post-World War II, came back to our hometown and set up a small dental practice. It was always a small dental practice. He practiced till he was 75 years old. And it wasn't later. Thankfully, he lived into his 90s. And so uh, I was fortunate to have a adult relationship with my grandfather in addition to a, chi- a child's perspective. But I remember asking him one time, like, why did you practice in your 70s? You know, could you not have retired earlier? It was a slightly ignorant question. And he, he smiled and he laughed. He said, Brett, it was never about the money. He said, I loved dentistry. It was my hobby. It was the thing I wanted to do when I woke up. And you find that so many professional service providers, dentists are one of them, their identity is very closely integrated with their practice, especially in rural areas. They are doctor such and such. They are doc at the country club, at church, at social activities. Hey, doc. And they feel a sense, and and this extended to COVID, of responsibility to be that doctor in their community. And it's one of the reasons I think a lot of folks really struggle with, who do I want to sell my practice to? The one that first and foremost, if they have a child or a family member, or sometimes it's even, hey, a, um, a patient who they really invested in and mentored, there is, I mean, you talk about a successful transaction where everybody is smiling, is when that baton is passed successfully. I mean, there's some inherent challenges in doing that, but that is a great transaction. And then I'd say, it's hard to put an arbitrary percentage on it. You know, that's that's probably a quarter of transactions. Um, the It used to be heavily then single doctor to single doctor transaction, small amount of corporate sales, but I would say those are kind of reversing themselves and you're seeing this acceleration of more and more people selling to a corporate outfit. And when I say corporate, I'm casting a pretty wide net there. That could be a group of doctors who are in entrepreneurial phase who are buying and absorbing practices. It could be a dental service organization. It could be, uh, and probably one of the first ones is gonna be coming up later this summer, a true dental organization that is going to be a publicly traded company. Like it's, I think there's a few that are headed that direction. But in that, you have to understand and make a determination. And, and, and this is a process that I think some of the best consultants do and something we try to help our clients. And I think you do, Mike, in the, the academy is 
what are the quantitative and then also the qualitative elements you need to consider as part of a transaction? Because these, these dental providers, their team is their family. It is not uncommon to have a hygienist or a dental assistant or an orthodontic assistant or a front desk manager who's been there 25, 30 years. Oftentimes it is your family member. It's your, your niece or your sister. I mean, it's, and they care about the patients in the community. Now, in some sense, there is a, hey, I have a philosophical conflict with selling to an organization and I, you know, I only want to sell to another individual provider. Uh, but sometimes there is a absence of available buyers, Mike. And, and sometimes that drives the market more than anything else, because uh, I can sit here all day. And, and I, I, I told this to a bunch of my brother's friends in dental school. I said, you want to be a successful dentist? Move 50 miles outside of a major metropolitan area and set up your practice there. Don't do it in the middle of the major metropolitan area because you're going to be competing high rent high overhead, high labor costs with every other person who wants to move there. But if you can move to a community or a, a suburb where you're one of the only folks in town, you have the respect, you tend to control your overhead better, you're less competition, but there's a trade-off. Harder and harder to attract a young dentist or other provider to buy your practice. So sometimes selling to a dental service organization or corporate group is, they give you it. They said, you don't have to worry about that. We'll rotate someone through to take care of that. Uh, sometimes it's a timing issue, Mike, uh, wherein it's a, hey, um, I've got a health condition. I mean, I, I don't know this statistic off the top of my head, but dentistry is hard and takes its toll on the body over time. I mean, uh, my brother had to stop practicing in his late 30s. Uh, partially because of a of a, a neurological a neck issue. Um, who who can come in and replace your practice that quickly? Um, sometimes though, it's also and and I've seen this too, where people are observing a change in the industry, and you've got I think some early adopters who are saying, hey, there's an opportunity to join in with a larger organization. It's 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 not unlike Mike what we just went through the last year in our integration and acquisition by CI Financial and, and what we're seeing being created around CI Private Wealth, there's some entrepreneurial forward-thinking dental practitioners who are saying, hey, I want to be a part of that. This excites me. I want to transcend. I want to move beyond a single or two to three location practice. I want to I want to be a part of creating something bigger. And, and, and so what you probably just heard me say, sorry, it wasn't concise, is there is no silver bullet. There is no magic answer. And at the end of the day, how are we asking the right questions of our, of our mutual dental clients to say, what's important to you? What are the cultural team ongoing economics, flexibility. I mean, uh, I've, I have uh, a one client who's, who's an orthodontist sold to a, a larger orthodontic group. He was single and he said, you know what? I love to travel. Guess what he does? He's their fill-in orthodontist. And he literally hopscotches around the country 
covering practices when someone's on vacation or goes out on maternity leave. Loves it. He's like, this is exciting. I'm getting to meet new people. I don't have to deal with it. Like, he's like, I just, they, they almost call me and say, hey, can you come cover this practice in three months? And I'm like, cool, I'll plan a vacation around that. That's his retirement gig. It's, it all harkens back, or I should say it all comes back to, Mike, how are you having the right conversations to make sure that emotionally people are ready? Because very few dentists, A, have a business plan. Even fewer have a transition and exit plan. And the smallest majority have a retirement plan. Back to Charlie Jordan's uh, about retiring well, playing golf four times a week is not a retirement plan. Yeah, now you've hit on questions two and three. So you've talked a bit about who, and primarily you were talking about children, you were talking about single box, and then you talk about the corporate related sales, the DSOs, the larger roll-up type environment. One of the things that I would say about that initially is this, those larger corporations or those larger roll-up type transactions, how sophisticated do you think their deal teams are? They're getting good. They're sophisticated. They do this every day. They look at every practice through the lens of acquiring for profitability. One of the things we've learned very quickly is that you have to be very careful when you calculate EBITDA for a small business that is driven around one or two highly compensated professional service providers. So in one sense, you have to arrive at an adjusted EBITDA. And you have to adjust two things. One is you have to add back, if you think about it, add back the owner perks that are being run through the business, which actually has a accretive impact on EBITDA. So you got to add back all the things we're running through the business, add back qualified retirement plan, the travel perks, all the legitimate expenses that as a business owner, you're running through the business. But this is the one everybody's like, yeah, got that check. Here's the one everybody forgets. What is the add back from an expense standpoint? If you're not there practicing dentistry, what would it cost to bring in a dentist to produce the same level of dentistry? And here's a spoiler for everybody. It's not what you've been paying yourself all along. So you have to recalibrate your expectations, but you also have to add back reasonable doctor comp, which is going to bring that EBITDA back down. So you have to actually, before you can, uh, and the reason I mentioned I had someone go, hey, I calculated my EBITDA. If I assume this multiple, my practice, I said, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. How did you arrive at an adjusted EBITDA? Oh, wait, I don't, I don't understand that. And that's actually what the valuation, A, the deal teams are doing. But that's where you need to independently have a valuation to come at that from your own number. So you can make sure the value you're approaching the transaction is either consistent or more importantly, defendable to argue for a higher price versus the valuation that the buyer is going to be coming in at. Yeah, that's a great point. And obviously something that we are looking at 
with the businesses that we work with in every deal process, right? So we want to look at that early as we're doing the individual assessment, but we're looking at it very, very closely during phase four, which is the pre-sale planning phase of what we do. Let me go to, so the valuation piece of it was really good. We, we talked about the sophistication of the deal team. The caution that I want to throw out there to everybody is that these deal teams are good. They have a formula. For those of you that don't understand how this process works, if you go competitive and you're going out there to lots, you're going to get indications of interest from buyers, but then you're going to go to this LOI phase. The LOI phase is the letter of intent. You're going to review these LOIs, and then you're going to pick a horse to ride. Once you pick that horse to ride, then you go through due diligence. And part of that is financial due diligence. There's operational due diligence. There's all kinds of things. And, you know, this isn't just in dental. This is industry, you know, across all industries. These are how deals are done. Each industry, they have certain due diligence areas they focus on. These corporate entities in general that are doing these acquisitions they have a game plan for due diligence. The idea in due diligence is to reduce the price as much as possible. Well, you know, that's a little jaded, but it's kind of like you buying a house, right? When you go buy- You're getting the best value on their that's purchase. Right. When you go buy a house, you try to make the best deal yep. you can. Well, that's what these guys do. And so my advice is that make sure you have a good team of advisors around you that can help you through this process so that you don't degrade the value that was stated in the LOI doesn't get appreciably smaller when the purchase agreement happens. Brett and his team and the advisors in Brett's ecosystem are all well-equipped to be able to help with that, as are the Business Owner Transition Academy also can help in that area. So let me get to one last thing here, and then we're going to start wrapping this thing up because you hit on it earlier. You talked about separating the identity of the owner from their business and transitioning it to what I call their new elevator speech. When that dentist, that doctor is in that elevator and somebody asks them what it is that they do for a living, it's really easy to answer the question. My name is Dr. So-and-so and I run XYZ Dental Practice. And I love it because we provide world-class care to our patients and generate relationships long-term. That's awesome right? Now, the day after transaction, what does that sound like? What are you saying? What is your new why and purpose? And who are you telling people you are, not what you were? We identify that as a vision component of our success formula. Success formula is process times vision times desire. Brett, you've touched on each of these things, I'm going to ask you for your three takeaways from our conversation today, and we'll wrap this thing up. First, Mike, I would say you've got to be aware. In today's environment, you've got to be aware of what is occurring with dental practice transitions, the incorporation of the corporate dental model, and what it means for you at a practice level, a transition level, community level, et cetera. You can't afford to be ignorant here. That would be my, my first recommendation. My second is you must know where you stand financially. 
how can you make the right decision for yourself, your team, your community, and your family if you don't know what that means at the end of the day? Personally, I think we're going to see in three to five years a huge wave of regret of all the people who've, not of all, but of, as you said, Mike, a growing wave of regret of people who've sold over the last few years because they didn't understand one and two. But then as a father, as a husband, uh, as a brother, son, and grandson, and nephew of a dentist, I would encourage all those listening, and you don't even have to be a dentist to, to listen to this. What, what are your values and what's truly important to you? And how are you building a plan, a business plan, a personal plan, a family plan to execute on those values? Because when done well, that will inform you when it's the right time. That will inform you as to what type of transaction you wish to undertake. That will inform you as to what is the next chapter after you hang up the handpiece and empower you to be what you call it the best version of yourself, what you call it happy. I mean, I'll share a quick story. If, if it's okay, Mike, I was having this conversation about six months ago with a beautiful couple in Eastern North Carolina, known them for many years, head down, hardworking, a lot of great dentistry, saving hard. And we, we actually think about it. One, we talked about what was happening in the dental industry. Ironically, too, we helped them for the first time. They are 63 years old. They never knew where they stood financially. We did that. And at the end of the question, at the end of the meeting, after we'd kind of gone through this, I took a step back and I said, what does the knowledge you now have empower you to do? And the spouse of the doctor broke down crying. And she looked at me and said, you've given us permission to dream. And I started crying. So I'm like, why did it take you to 63 to have permission to dream. But that's Mike what's missing. And that's the awareness that, that we wish to share in all of this is regardless of what age, what stage, you need to know these three things. What's happening in the industry, where you are financially, and what's your, what are, what's your goals? So you can then create a plan to execute on that successfully. Well, Brett, listen, those are three great takeaways. This is really fun. I look forward to doing more of these with you. And what we, yeah, there's a lot, there's a ton of stuff to talk about here, right? I mean, there's talk about, we can talk about cash flow optimization and how practices can do that. We can talk about all of the elements of the I'm Good Checklist and how they build additional transferable value for a dental practice. I'm hoping you're going to come back. We'd love to, Mike. I'm hoping we can kind of create a series out of this. Absolutely. You know, maybe even in the next several months, we'll put together a course specific to the dental profession. I like where you're heading, Mike. Well, listen, I appreciate it. You have a wonderful day out there in a rainy South Carolina day. And uh, for all of you listening, we appreciate you joining the Business Owner Transition Podcast. Go to theowneracademy.com. Again, go to theowneracademy.com and look at those resources. For you dentists out there, listen, that valuation tool works pretty well. And we can help you with that. Brett and his team can get involved and uh, we can give you some really good information on you and your business. So thanks again and we'll see you next time on the Business Owner Transition Podcast. Thanks, Mike.